Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. So before getting into this deep dive, I thought I'd provide a little bit of behind the scenes, kind of inside baseball a little bit. So especially for those of you who have made Fraudology appointment listening, so to speak, and you really try to listen in on Tuesdays and Thursdays when the episodes first come out. I try really hard to make sure that you have an episode to listen to. Well, I have been more or less better at getting those episodes to my editors earlier than I used to and trying not to be so behind. Last week was just not one of those weeks. I was traveling. Uh, Not only did I go to New York for Forder's Impact Conference and got to see a lot of you in person and meet a few others that I have feel like I've known forever online but haven't gotten to meet in person. My husband and I also uh, spent the weekend before that in Las Vegas uh, watching you 2 at The Sphere in Vegas, which that is not the topic of the podcast episode, but it certainly could be, I have to say. For everyone who has asked me how it was, I have said, should one of your favorite artists ever go to the sphere and should you be able to you know afford the price of a ticket i highly recommend it it's pretty incredible what technology is capable of these days and technology and music together pretty awesome so anyway i was staying in hotels for like seven or eight days and as much as i tried to record this on saturday and then on monday in the hotel it just didn't happen so when i was in new york i finally did it on tuesday night and got it over to my editors, thought everything was fine, went to the conference all day Wednesday, and I wasn't checking my Slack. And then on Thursday, I noticed, wait, there's no episode today. I recorded it. And I went on Slack and found out that the file was corrupt. And I use an app when I'm recording on my phone when I'm traveling. And so something happened. Anyway, that might be way too detailed. But the shorter version is I'm sorry there wasn't an episode last Thursday. I had every intention of talking about this topic last Thursday because kind of in advance of something that was happening the next day on Friday. But I'm sure that not all of you are aware of it still. So I'm going to go ahead and provide this deep dive on bots going mainstream. And it'll be full of a few twists and turns. uh, But I think it's really important to talk about and know about especially because so many of my listeners do have to deal with bots or scripted programs as, you know, is kind of the more official way of saying it, but we just call them bots for short. And I've had previous guests talk about them from Diana Gajic Physic when she was at Finish Line. As far as I know, her episode from, I think it was January or February of 2022, is still the most listened to episode on Fraudology, although (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just... I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on uh, this because when I reached out to a few merchants who have dealt with bots before, just to gut check that this was a big enough story that, like I thought it was to talk about on the podcast and to be kind of upset about. 
uh, one of the people on the group text has also been on the podcast and they joked that maybe they were going to set up some bots to just listen to their own episode of Fraudology over and over again so they can beat <laughs> Diana's uh, record. So I don't know if they did that, then <laughs> maybe Diana isn't the most listened to now. Uh, and that person does listen to these episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So I have a feeling that they're laughing pretty hard. Um, but I've talked to them about them with Diana. I've talked about them with Jenna Posner from Snipes. I, her talking about how they do everything they can to eradicate bots. I talked about them a lot with a lot of merchants, especially those that have well-known brands that may be resellable for higher dollars in other geographies uh, across the world, whether it's because those items are sell for so much more expensive MSRP in other parts of the world or because they're not available in those parts of the world. So they might have a 5 or a 10x multiplier on secondary markets. And they also impact, you know, greatly impact any company that has a drop or hype selling, whether it's sneakers, concert tickets, sporting events tickets, anything that has, you know, limited supply and high demand, especially if they come out all at once. A lot of these companies are, are dealing with bots because, you know, scripted programs allow humans to scale. They essentially are providing a service of performing a repetitive task over and over and over again. And I talked about a little bit about it last week in the context of what happens when a pop culture phenomena occurs and kind of how fraud can be impacted as well as fraud teams uh, and how you know, resellers and bots are definitely part of that. Part of what happens when a product or an item becomes very popular all of a sudden, unexpectedly, and all of a sudden has value on the secondary market in some way, whether it's because you ran out of inventory or it becomes popular in a part of the world you don't usually ship to, just all of those things. And bots have been really part of our world, especially in e-commerce. I mean, I can really only talk to you know about it in e-commerce, though I know that there are bots in banking as well as fintech. They perform different things, but they still are, you know, scripted programs. It's not the end user who's doing it. It's someone who's most likely taking advantage of your systems. But up until very recently, it was very difficult for everyday consumers to get their hands on bots. There was really a barrier to entry. And what I mean by that was you had to either have the skills to be able to program these scripts or know someone or be able to have access to it. And oftentimes, you know, you'd have to purchase if you were purchasing a bot from a marketplace like, you know, goods as a service well, or fraud as a service or maybe not fraud, uh, but just a service online. You're trusting that the person who made the bot for you is doing it the right way. And so there's just been a lot of kind of also there's been it's been a gray area, right? So a lot of consumers aren't sure if it's legal or not. So all of those things have created a barrier to entry, meaning that I would say, I mean, this is very anecdotal, but I would say that the majority of merchants that I know, when they see, you know, evidence of scripted orders or scripted accounts or logins occurring on their site, and I'm not going to say what evidence that is, most of the time it's either resellers or fraudsters based on the behavior, on the things that they do once they're logged in or once they're on your site, you can typically, as well as like what they're buying and where they're shipping it to and all those things, you can typically tell the difference uh, once you know what to look for. But really, we haven't been concerned about 
everyday consumers using a bot. And that's why so many retailers have put so much effort into eradicating bots on their site, like Snipes has. Just like Jenna Posner said on that episode, you know, for them, it's not as much about trying to prevent business from happening, you know, because there are so many micro and solopreneurs and some big businesses that are in the reselling business, especially for sneakers or event tickets. But it's mostly because they want the end consumer to have the item, right? They want to have a relationship with that end consumer. If they're selling a product to somebody who is running bots and trying to buy 50 of this item, and then they're going to resell it on a secondary market, that reseller is going to have the relationship with the end customer, not the brand, not the company and not the merchant. So when the retailer has a new product to launch or they're having a sale or you know, something like that, they can't reach out to the consumer who is the big fan of the products that they sell. They're really just sending emails to auto-generated email addresses. And while emails are only pennies for marketing teams to sell those or to send, those pennies add up. But it's mostly about losing that relationship with the end consumer and getting a bad brand reputation. I think we can all think of a few brands that have a reputation of, oh, they cater to bots. Now, do I know things behind the scenes that, you know, could probably argue that? Yes. Would I ever, ever say that on the podcast? No. But a lot of these companies are working hard to eradicate them. And there's really a few different types of bots. And there's two different places where companies are trying to stop them. So going way back, maybe 10 years when we first started seeing bots, the majority of them weren't purchasing anything. They were just really set up for traffic, for overloading traffic on specific sites to create a DDoS attack, a denial of service attack, which in my very you know small bit of cybersecurity knowledge that I have, it's essentially pointing a whole bunch of devices all to one site, all to one server to overload that server. And if that server is for a website, it'll take the website down. If those servers connected to it also power telcos, mobile companies, or utility companies, or internet service providers, well, then it's taking out so much more, whatever they provide, right? If it's a electricity utility, it might cut out electricity. Internet service provider, it cut out internet for all their customers. We've seen it with telcos many times. And now even DDoS attacks are happening for ransom. It used to be kind of for bragging rights or to make a statement. Uh, now groups are committing DDoS attacks and then contacting the company to say, pay us X and we will stop doing this. So that's kind of where they started. And because that's where they started, cybersecurity departments were the ones that were really focused on identifying and blocking bot behavior. But over the last several years, as referenced in the previous episodes, and just from, I think, a lot of your knowledge, purchasing bots have become more and more popular. Uh, That's really the one that I know the most about. There are also login bots that can really commit credential stuffing, essentially, right? Taking usernames and passwords from other breaches and feeding them into bots to just continually try to log in with the usernames and password at website A into website B, website C, website D, because we know and fraudsters also know the 86% of consumers reuse the same passwords for more than one account. I personally think it's higher than 86%, but that's, you know, the 86% that would admit it. And so cybersecurity teams have, you know, been implementing bot detection into their CDN, their content delivery, kind of at the beginning of entering a website, right? When the 
user starts a session. And if they see indicators of a bot, they'll try to block them from going to their site. There are others that'll use reCAPTCHA. However, uh, Frank McKenna produced, uh, published an article a few weeks ago, I think now, maybe over a month ago, that talked about how uh, there was a study done where AI bots were outperformed humans on reCAPTCHA, including the picture kind and all the different ones. So, I mean, we know how effective those are. And then I had Nate Carl on the podcast about a month ago or so, and he, on the episode talking about how fraudsters are exploiting third-party systems, we talked a lot about JavaScript blocking. That's something that a lot of these purchasing bots, the bots that get through the detection, a lot of the reasons why they're getting through that first layer of detection from cybersecurity or the detection that cybersecurity teams work with, those type of companies, you can probably think of those brands, the most well-known ones anyway, a lot of them are using JavaScript to be able to detect, is this a human, is this not, uh, to extract information from their device. But if that user is using an anti-detect or ad blockers, that bot detection site doesn't have enough information about the device. And so they just kind of guess. And usually they just say, okay, yep, they're good. And Nate did such a better job at explaining that, but that's one piece that I think, you know, if you didn't listen to that episode, please go back. I really think it was one of the most important ones recently uh, as far as new news. Although I really try hard to make all episodes important. So the reason I'm talking about this is because when bots go through cybersecurity, when they pass those detections, then kind of falls on the fraud department to catch them. And a lot of times for companies that sell sneakers or event tickets or, you know, other companies that have hype sales all the time, a lot of these purchasing bots have learned, okay, we know how to get past the first layer of detection. We'll just block our JavaScript when we first enter the site. And that works. And I have at least a couple of clients right now that are seeing their bot attacks go through the roof because the first layer of detection cannot identify them anymore. And these are, you know, bots for resellers, not fraudsters. But for some brands, they're kind of one in the same because they're stealing from them in different ways. They're more stealing customers than money, but it's still you know, a business decision. There are some companies that are fine with bots. A sale is a sale. I don't subscribe to that, but there are some. If your company is like that, I highly suggest that you send them the link to the episode with Jenna Posner at Snipes on Spotify because she did such a good job and it's because she's not a fraud person at heart, right? Like John Maddox talked about last week, being a fraud person first and a business person second isn't always going to get you you know, in the room with executives or get them to understand you. But Jenna is a business person first, and she's probably, she would probably say she's a fraud person fifth. And so she's able to really quantify that in a business way that your executives may really be able to latch on to as well. But when these bots go through and they make purchases or they log in to accounts uh, to commit account takeover or other things, it falls on the fraud department to identify. And more fraud providers have been implementing some bot detection services. I mean, some are better than others, for sure. I have, you know, the one that I think works best, but they're not as the current sponsor this uh, quarter. So I'm not going to name drop them, but you could probably figure it out if you go back and listen to past episodes. But really, you know, looking at the user journey can help you identify those in a way that you don't the, the JavaScript blockers aren't going to work, is what I'm saying. But it does require 
setting up a new relationship with a new provider. And honestly, I think it should really require working with your cybersecurity team and saying, hey, we've noticed a lot more bots coming through your detection, and we're pretty sure this is why. Is there anything you can do to help us with that? That would be a great opportunity to collaborate with your cybersecurity team. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but SPEC's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. SPEC lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of SPEC's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. Because so many purchasing bots are now going undetected by, you know, some of the legacy bot detection tools that are often used by cybersecurity departments, most purchasing bots are often most detected at after checkout by a fraud tool or a fraud team, you know, and they can generally place them into two categories. The way that a fraud department or a fraud tool is identifying these bots is more about behavior, whether it's in the cart or the shopping behavior, um, other identifiers as well, which I uh, am not going to disclose on this episode, especially because I know that bot episodes, while they're not only the most popular with fraud fighters, I just have this theory that some of the people who are really hardcore resellers and live and die by their bot systems might also listen to this podcast. So being very conscious of the fact that this is public, there might be an opportunity to create like a private training uh, call for merchants who are more interested in this. If that's something that you might be interested in, please let me know because uh, I definitely can give a lot more information on how to identify bots as long as I identify you first. But basically, they can be placed in two different categories based on these identifiers after someone's checked out, after an order has been placed. Either they're a fraudster, they're using a stolen card or payment method, or they're a reseller or a broker. In retail goods, whether it's hype selling or drops or you know, whatever your company calls it, uh, when there are high demand, low supply items with potential resale value. And some of them are just guaranteed resale value at, you know, anywhere from two to five to 10 X the original purchase price. We know, and I talked about this last week too, that there's a lot of resellers that come in, you know, like when Taylor Swift wore a certain pair of shoes to a football game or a certain pair of shorts or whatever her new boyfriend in quotation marks because you know they haven't officially uh, this is not a pop culture podcast <laughs> uh but uh you know travis kelsey's jersey went up you know sales of that went up 400 right after that those type of things right all of a sudden resellers go aha okay there's a market for that i'm gonna buy these too i'm gonna cut the line with these bots and i'm gonna buy them in bulk Sometimes they won't buy them in bulk to try to go undetected, but that is the cat and mouse game that we all know and love to hate or hate to love. Both resellers are using their own money, so there's not going to be a chargeback, uh, but they're selling for profit to your end users and your customers, either on secondary marketplaces or internationally. That's going to be a business decision, whether to have a policy against resellers and or bots. If you do decide to have this company policy, and you decide that you're going to cancel any of these orders, it needs to be communicated to the customer. If 
by no other way, but in your terms and conditions. And ideally, you would say it'd be great to let them know ahead of time prior to checkout. But, you know, at the very least, if they do call and complain, your customer service can be armed by saying it's in our terms and conditions. Also, you never want, you know, someone to, and I think I talked about this in a previous episode where there's been some extortion to C-level executives for, you know, people who have had their orders canceled, obviously for fraud, but who may claim discrimination. Uh, If you're able to say, nope, we detected that you were using a bot and this is our policy on this. And look, we published it for everyone and we stick by it for everyone. You're much less likely to fall into that trap or be accused of something like that. So between fraudsters and resellers, there are different identifiers, sometimes only to humans. So that's not scalable. They're not always different, right? Sometimes they look the same, but if you have a policy to cancel resellers, you can just say, oh, any of this activity just gets canceled. Um, But we also know that there are some companies, you know, at different times of your company growth, they may care more about profit than new users or vice versa. And so you're going to have to have those conversations with senior leadership and, you know, say, don't forget that we made this decision when our priority was X. Maybe it was getting new customer accounts. Well, we already have the customer account. We just canceled the transaction. But now that we're turning to wanting to have more profit or more margins and more volume, we may want to re-look at the business decision to cancel bots and resellers, maybe we're okay with it. But you also have to take in mind your brand reputation and your customer trust. And again, that relationship with the end customer. If you don't know who that is, who that end customer is that loves the products that you sell so much that they're willing to pay three or four or five or 10x the regular price on a secondary market, well, then you're losing a really good sales opportunity. So there's just a lot of things to consider in that. Um, If your business hasn't yet decided about bots or resellers, or you don't think you have a problem yet, it's a good opportunity to lead the conversation with stakeholders and have your numbers and the facts and pros and cons already. Uh, That is something that I have and can help with uh, in my consultancy. I'm going to be offering some smaller packages uh, in November for uh, just you know, five to 10 hours or even one hour to really ask me specific questions. That's something that's been asked for by the audience and one that I'm excited to offer. So this might be one of those things that you can add to an ask Carice list and you know, just purchase a small bucket of hours rather than a large engagement. Uh, this wasn't really meant to be uh, an advertisement for my services, but I do just want to offer those because I know that these are topics that can be difficult to know who to trust. And oftentimes merchants are asking their solution providers. And let's be honest, your solution provider is always going to have skin in the game. They're always going to want to think that their product is going to work so that you invested it. And they know that once you make that decision, you're probably not going to change products or companies anytime soon, even if that product does not match what they claimed. So like I said, it's easier to detect bots at checkout when you can put them into two categories, right? After they've made the transaction, after that order has been placed and you can say, okay, that's fraud, that's reselling, that's fraud, that's reselling. Well, what's going to happen when consumers have access to similar tools, right? It's going to make it a lot more difficult for anyone to identify. And there are going to be some consumers that say, well, that website seems to be fine with bots buying it when they're businesses who are reselling it. So, you know, why can't I do that too? And really, if I can't beat them, I might as well join them. Well, 
when that happens and this announcement or this really huge platform and being able to advertise this product on Shark Tank has given it so much legitimacy and so much market awareness that I think that's going to happen a lot, especially the next time you have a drop, the next time you have hype sale, the next time there's inventory released. What about big sales, right, for the holidays, whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday or any, you know, before or after that? There are a lot of bots that are trying to get up those limited, you know, there's only 100 items per company or per state for, you know, at midnight on Black Friday, right? If bots are the only ones purchasing them, well, then somebody who set their alarm at midnight on Black Friday isn't going to get it. Uh, so there's a lot of uses for purchasing bots and we're just going to keep seeing them. And I can just see a lot of people who love Black Friday sales getting something like this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how that works, that service works in just a minute. But when consumers are using bots in this way, it's going to be harder to identify them from resellers and fraudsters. So you're going to be more likely to cancel good customers' orders, either because their order looks like a fraud order or it looks like reselling or, you know, due to policies, right? So either it looks like a fraud order and you're canceling it because you think it's fraud and you're marking that as fraud, or you think it's reseller and you're going to cancel it due to policies. My biggest concern, because this product has now been legitimized by Shark Tank on, you know, this huge platform and there's so much market awareness, right? So many people now in the market know about it. Whereas had this company not been on Shark Tank in the first three months of its existence, it would have grown much slower. My concern is that consumers are going to feel entitled to use them. They're going to think, oh, well, they're obviously legal. They're obviously okay. We can use them. Well, because you can't identify purchasing bots until after an order has been placed, that means that you're going to be having to cancel a lot of orders and a lot of transactions for good customers because they're choosing to use software that allows them to cut the line because they're breaking your policies. And when that happens, you're going to have a lot of, you know, escalation calls and customer service for those canceled orders. We all know what that looks like, whether it's someone, you know, who's entitled and says, it doesn't matter if I used a bot, they're legal, they're fine. You know, they said that they follow all regulations. Well, the joke is there's no regulations. But not only that, a lot of online retailers say in their policies that if they identify a consumer or, you know, a reseller using a bot, they won't only cancel that one order. They'll no longer allow you to purchase from their website. They'll add you to their negative list because you broke policy. Well, how many merchants are using a consortium of sorts, right? The consortiums that are reliant on when one company marks certain identifiers as fraud, that's going to get really sticky because now you have a good consumer and this still happens now even without bots, but now you have a good consumer who's used a bot. So now they're being put on your negative list. You really only have the fraud tools to use. And so, you know, unless you have a policy tool through your fraud provider, not all of them have a separate, actually, I don't even know if any of them do have a separate category for policy cancellations. I think one might, those products are very hit and miss. A lot of them were add-ons for specific clients. And then they just said, oh, okay, well, we can probably make money for the, on this for other people. So they might have been built to help a specific type of company that may not help you. So just do not assume that a company that says they have bot detection, whether it's the cyber bots at the, you know, upstream or it's purchasing bots, don't assume that they actually can because they are getting better, right? The bot builders know they need to be undetected. Otherwise, they don't have a leg up on the competition and they're going to lose their market share. 
So it's something to consider, right? But if you're not only putting your customer on your negative list, but if all the retailers that use that same provider are also being alerted when any of that information from the order was attached to a fraudulent order, well, now you've got somebody who had their order canceled at Merchant A because they used a bot. Now they just go to purchase at Merchant B with a bot or without a bot and their order is canceled and they're told, well, it looks like you were marked as fraud. Well, and I don't, I mean, every company has different things that they'll say about that, but it can be very, very difficult to untangle that web when your customers, you know, are being added to other companies' negative lists. That's why I'm not a huge fan of those types of consortiums. There are better ones out there these days that rely more on fact than opinion. And really adding something to the negative list is very subjective. It really depends on the company's policies, right? Think about if one retailer is okay with bots and resellers and the other one isn't. Well, now because one of the companies that uses that same tool has policies against resellers, now someone else who doesn't have that policy is going to have that order canceled. It's quite the web. So these are all things that you should be thinking about ahead of time. That's why I wanted to have this episode. You don't want to be thinking about this when you're getting the calls, when customer service is telling you there's somebody who called us that is so angry that your department canceled their order. They're feeling very entitled because they used this product that you know was on Shark Tank. And so obviously they think it's you know just as legitimate as the Squatty Potty or Scrub Daddy or whatever product you know has been on Shark Tank. And there's hundreds of them. So especially if you have issues with resellers now, if you know that your products are worth more in another international market, or if you know that secondary markets, people can you know get at least two times as much as they pay for it originally on your site, that's you especially should sit down with all the stakeholders within your company that would need to be in on this decision and say, hey, we need to be prepared for this ahead of time. Because once the holidays hit, once we start having more drops, once we start having more sales, we're not going to be able to create policies around this. What happens when a legitimate consumer uses a scripted program in the fog of war? We're not going to be able to do that when, you know, we're literally at, you know, basically at 20,000 feet and we are being asked to fix the engine on the plane, right? I mean, it's obviously an analogy, but it's one that anyone who's been in fraud for retail in the holiday season can definitely relate to. So here's a little bit more about this company. I am not going to tell you spoilers. That's just not going to happen, but I'll give a little bit of information just for context. So they came in asking for 150000 for 10% uh, at a $1.5 million valuation. Um, I thought that was pretty low, but they then explained that they had just started three months ago and had 350 subscribers. So what a brilliant marketing strategy to get on Shark Tank and have tens of millions of people watch this and think, oh, well, I want concert tickets to my favorite pop star or you know favorite musician, and I can't afford it when they're 10 times more than the ticket price. So I'm going to totally do this. It looks so simple. And they did. That's really what gives this company so much competitive advantage and why it's worrying me because they've really made it simple for consumers. Their user interface is very, very simple. I mean, if you can, it's kind of like how 
creating websites were revolutionized by different website companies because instead of needing to have someone who can code and build a website on the back end, you can now use these templates. You can now use these website platforms. I used one for my company website. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was many, many years ago, and I am very aware that it needs to be updated. But uh, it's just an example, right? That leveled the playing field for so many more people to have businesses. Well, when you no longer have to have someone who knows coding and knows that you know, there's very specific parameters setting for bots. And <laughs> I have had my share of conversations with merchants who have seen, I mean, it's funny, but it's also very annoying when a bot gets broken on their site and you know they have 350 or 5,000 orders on one card and the order only set over 15 digits of a card number instead of 16 and it wasn't an Amex. And so now you've paid, you know, several cents per transaction or however your fees are set up to process the same order hundreds of times that never was going to get through. Now that's, you know, a pre-auth situation, but it's just one example that I've seen. But sometimes, you know, bots will get stuck or they will have bad intel and they will just keep running the same stuff over and over again. They said that it's to complete online tasks like dinner reservations, book a tea time, or buy concert tickets as if all those things are the same. Well, dinner reservations and tea times rarely require payment information. Buying concert tickets and sneakers, they do. So to me, that's a big difference. But they said that the purpose was really to level the playing field. And they you know, see it as kind of making things more fair for the average consumer, which sounds good, but again, scares me. They also shared that bots now control almost 50% of traffic for things like booking reservations and online purchases. I would say it's mostly for online purchases. They also talked about how this is only going to work on for items that open up at a certain time, right? So if reservations are all the time or if it's just for tonight and they're already made, you're not going to be able to skip the line then. But if it's we open up our reservations for two weeks ahead on Monday at 10 a.m., well, you can set a bot for Monday at 10 a.m., you know, what time you want, how often to try, when to stop, all of those things. And it's the, the UX they showed was so crystal clear. I mean, it was very well built. That's the same way it's going to work for, you know, sneaker drops or other hype selling, you know, drops, whether that's makeup or, you know, social media sales or all kinds of things that that really that hype selling is working and working well. So the more it works in the regular market, the more often bots are going to be something that people will want to be able to skip the line and get as many of the items as possible so that they can get as much profit as possible. So people can either select or customers of this company bought it, B-O-T-I-T, can either select a pre-built bot or customize and um, they'll build it for you. So the pre-built bots are automatic. They're they can be set up in seconds. You just have to know the parameters uh, and they'll give you guidance for what you're looking at and you know where you're getting it, that kind of thing. If you're looking at it, you're thinking, huh, I wonder if I can have a bot do X, right? Like I wonder if, <laughs> using the example earlier, I wonder if I can set up a bot to listen to the episode of Fraudology that I was a guest on so that I can beat Diana's record of having the most listened to episode of Fraudology. That would probably be a custom bot, and that is something that they will build for you in one to two days. It's really as simple as step one, step two, you know, setting those times, you know, how long you want them, how many times you want them to try, how long they need to try. Uh, I know of people during COVID that were setting, and I think I said this on you know, the episode two weeks ago on uh, pop culture and how it influences reselling and fraud. 
but during COVID when there was a lot, of, there were a lot of items that were on short supply, whether that was computer chips or others. And there were several people that would set up, you know, web scrapers to just go to, you know, go to these five sites and continually try to purchase whatever gaming laptops or external hard drives or, you know, storage, any kind of computer storage, anything like that, right, that required a computer chip. And just whenever one's available, you buy it. Well, when there's thousands of people doing that, that's a lot of traffic on your website too. And it makes it more confusing. Uh, you're also often having to pay for all that traffic in one way or another. So, and there's just a lot of things that add up, right? You need to think about all of them when you're presenting it to your company, as well as making these decisions. After the pitch, there were some questions from sharks. And like I said, this is not going to be a play-by-play -play or a recap, but these are some things that I think are important for us to know. I encourage you to watch the show or at least this clip to learn more if you're interested for sure. Uh, but they said that they're the first B2C or intentional B2C bot company uh, because they've created this user interface that has pre-configured parameters and it's so easy to use. So like I said earlier, yes, bots exi have existed for many years. This is changing the game. It's marketing to consumers. And if they were just a small website that was starting out that nobody had really heard of yet, I wouldn't be dedicating an entire episode to it. But because they were featured on Shark Tank as the very first package of the night, so the very first entrepreneur or pitch of the night of that episode, that usually you know, gets the most press. And that's usually the best one of the episode in quotation marks. So maybe not necessarily the best product, but the best pitch or the best interaction. So that's why. Um, and they did have a guest shark on it, which actually has ties to fraud, the fraud fighting side anyway. Uh, Michael Rubin, he was the founder. Some of you know that name very well. Uh, he was the founder of GSI Commerce, which then when it turned into eBay Enterprise, I think it was a couple of other things before then. And then now it's radial. So way back when the internet started, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, he created GSI Commerce to provide e-commerce services for other companies. So they do all things, right? Logistics and all that. It, fraud is just a very small part of it. So he knows that space. So I was kind of hopeful about that, but not giving anything away. Uh, he then went on to found Fanatics and Tops uh, NFTs and um, playing cards. So, or maybe he bought Tops. I don't know. Anyway, he's got a He's a billionaire and you know, knows a lot about the e-com market. So I thought that that would be a good thing. Um, I'm not going to say who said what, but one shark, I was, I didn't clap, but I was certainly happy about it, uh, said, wait, this feels like a moral dilemma. Uh, it feels like cheating, right? And now you're just adding to the noise, essentially. And the owners said that they want to change the perspectives on bots and to no longer see them as a bad thing, but as a tool to allow humans to do more things and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it was a lot of spin to me. I think that they were probably expecting that question. Another shark uh, said that they've invested uh, millions of dollars to eliminate bots, but he really felt like the resellers that he had on or that they had on their website and the other sites that they have that those bots are all B2B, right? That they're all professional resellers. I don't, I think that that has been the case for sure. They're also fraudsters. But what he was saying was, and this is where he kind of lost me, was that they'd much rather an individual consumer with a bot 
make a purchase than a B2B bot. Well, now how are you supposed to tell the difference between those two, right? Because if an e-commerce site is giving priority, even say that, you know, if this shark invested in this product and he said to his engineers, we'll only let people who use, which I mean, such a conflict of interest, but this happens all the time in every industry. Hey, we're only going to allow the bots that are using this bot tool that I own to make purchases. Well, what's going to happen, right? They also have a, a B2B model. So all those businesses, all those professional resellers are just going to go to that side and act like a consumer. So it, it kind of boggles my mind why they thought that was a good thing. I'd say that I'd just much rather nobody do bots because there's also so many things, mistakes that can happen. Like I said earlier, right? Where a bot can get stuck or you can not know how to program it correctly and accidentally purchase, you know, 17 pairs of $500 shoes when you only wanted to purchase one. Well, that's on you, right? There are several companies that do drop sales. They're not going to refund you those 16 times, but then that can turn into a chargeback and they can keep the product. So I think there's a advantage to people who are using bots who understand them. And no matter how fancy the UX is, not everybody knows how to talk to a computer or knows what it means. Okay, if I say, you know, keep doing it over and over again, what does that mean? Okay, it means my card's going to charge. Like, they don't know that part. So there's just so much room for error. And I think that a lot of these are just going to end up at everybody's customer service uh, department, which is going to make things so much worse. So that's why I think it's important to you know, think these things through now. And worst case scenario, you've done the exercise and they never become a problem at your site. But I would imagine, I haven't looked since the episode aired, but I would imagine that a lot more consumers are playing around with bots now since Friday. Here's just a list that I wanted to provide in addition to everything I've said already about what you can do about it, right? So, you know, obviously be prepared, right? Know this is coming and have conversations with other parts of your department or of your company with other... Have these conversations with other departments within your company. Consider purchase bot detection more upstream, right? So if right now you're relying on two different types of bot detection, one for the cybersecurity bots that aren't using ad blockers and anti-detect, and then you've got something else a little, you know, further downstream after checkout, once an order has been placed based on behavior and other logic that is canceling orders that were placed on bots, well, that's going to get really painful really quickly, right? It would be better to stop these from happening in the first place. And if you can't do that with a cybersecurity bot detection, there are a couple of, you know, user journey products that when you see the session data ahead of time, and when you can see everything that's happening on your website, rather than just a snapshot at the time of login and a snapshot at the time of purchase, then you can do a lot more. Uh, so that's just, you know, an option there that I have seen some companies use and be very, very happy. Some products are better than others, but uh, it's really important to do your due diligence and to not uh, believe everything that a salesperson tells you. Also, you know, provide clear verbiage, right, on your ter terms and conditions, possibly other places on the website. Now, keep in mind, if somebody has set a bot to uh, make a purchase from your site, that human is not going to see what's on the checkout page. So it might want to be on the item description when they go look see to see how much it is or when they put in the product number for the bot to order have it on there that says you know any purchase made by a bot or a scripted program is subject to be canceled even after your card is charged and when it's canceled it may take five to seven business days for that money to go back to your account 
along with these preparation conversations, you should also really put in the policies of when your department is going to cancel for reseller behavior, what that looks like. You'll really get clarity on that all the way through. That can be a challenge to get from the C-suite because they kind of want the sales, but they also don't want to say that they want them. And so it can be sticky, but just trying to go back and saying, okay, you say that you don't want them, but then you say that you do. So like, where are we at? We just want to follow your directions. Uh, Because we don't get a chargeback, this isn't totally our department, but we understand that because we see it and because we have some tools that provide us some visibility, not as much as you usually need for this, uh, depending on what your risk stack looks like. But because of that, we can help. But here's what we need. Um, Also, you know, working with customer service to provide them verbiage to say to people when they call and say, I ordered it, they're probably not going to come out and say right away that they used a bot. It's probably going to be you canceled my order and I don't understand why and you stole my money and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, training customer service on that of what to expect on those calls and what questions to ask and then what to say to kind of de-escalate the situation, point them back to terms of service and say, look, we really want our products to go to our customers, our biggest fans. And it sounds like you're one of them, but we can't tell that when you're using a bot, something like that. I just, yeah, can't stress enough to make sure that your T's and C's are aligned with what your team is canceling. That's not always the case and can get you in a lot of trouble. And then, you know, consider where to put that verbiage on the site, whether it's, you know, at the product level or whatever. And then talk with marketing and explain to them why and say, you know, especially for these drop purchases, we know we're going to sell them, right? Selling them isn't the problem. It's the who. And if the decision is made that we want to sell them to our everyday consumers, the best way we can know that is if they're making the purchase themselves and we just don't allow any bots. So that is it for today's episode. I do have to just say I started out talking about inside baseball and oh my goodness, this episode just did not want to get published at all. But if you have noticed, because I know a few of you are very astute at the sound quality, if you've noticed that even throughout this episode, the sound is a little bit different in different parts of the episode, it's because it was. I am trying to catch up from being out of town last week and it always seems to take me longer to do everything than I think it will. I know I'm not the only one that has that. And so I recorded a little bit of it in my car and a little bit of it in my office. And uh, so anyway, I apologize. Uh, We'll be back to regular audio next week, but I hope that you still enjoyed the topic and I look forward to hearing from you what else you want to learn about soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.